Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, grab them and open them to Micah chapter 5. I want to read verse 2 and verse 4 here in just a second. Micah 5, verse 2 and 4. When Troy was sharing a few minutes ago, he asked us to share with the person sitting next to us about um, a time when we experienced inexpressible joy. I hope uh, you all could come up with something pretty quick, a time when you experienced inexpressible joy. There's probably times in which uh, could come to your mind when you've experienced real sadness as well. Um, Trust that God meets us in our joy and he meets us in the places of real sadness. I'm really glad that you're here. Wherever you are in the story, I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, The message last Sunday noted the family lineage of Jesus. Um, I also mentioned a word or two about cats. I never knew how I got so many emails from people in our faith family about cats. You guys really love cats. I had no idea. This morning's message is going to focus on the place from which Jesus comes. Last week it was a little about the family. This week it's about the place from where Jesus comes. Jesus comes to us from a little town called Bethlehem in an insignificant place in the land of Israel. And I trust that you'll hear and see this morning some fresh insights into this idea of small and seemingly insignificant places. Micah chapter 5 gives us a prophecy that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. So Micah 5, 2 and 4 says this, But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This prophet, uh, Micah, is saying almost a thousand years before Jesus was born that the Messiah will come from a place. That place is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the name Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. It's a fitting name for the one that would be called the bread of life himself. You might also remember shepherd boy, David was also born in Bethlehem. Best estimates was that when Jesus was born, uh, there was probably about a thousand people or so that lived in Bethlehem. It's kind of an insignificant town out of the way. God intentionally chooses the small, the unseen, the unknown. And it's through the small that God does some of his greatest work. If, you're, if you have your Bibles, and you can flip over to Matthew chapter 2. This talks about the birth of Jesus and the fulfillment of the prophecy in Micah chapter 5. Matthew 2, 1 through 6 says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard the news, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This text, Matthew's gospel, includes this line that we just read from Micah chapter 5. This prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. You probably know some of Jesus' story, born in Bethlehem, but eventually he's going to settle in Nazareth. Mary and Joseph would settle in Nazareth, another really little town where Jesus would learn the trade of his father, where he learned how to play with his brothers and his cousin, maybe even hang out a little bit with John the Baptist. Nazareth was not a big town either. In fact, some of the stuff that I read said that Nazareth may have had as many as 400 people at the time of Jesus' birth, of Jesus' early years in life. Nazareth didn't have a reputation as being the, one of the cool towns in Israel. In fact, you might remember the story. Jesus begins to call his disciples to him. Philip is a disciple that came to follow Jesus, and Philip is really excited about all that's going on. Uh, this is Luke, uh, excuse me, this is John chapter 1. Verses 44, 45, and 46. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael, and he told them, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Come and see. Nazareth, like Bethlehem, not world-renowned. Not too much good comes out of Nazareth, according to some of these guys. Nazareth is small, Bethlehem is small, and I want you to hear that Jesus is okay with small. Jesus can do great things through small. At one point in Jesus' ministry, he looks over this big crowd of people, thousands of people, hungry people, and he says to his disciples, I have compassion for these people, They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And his disciples answered, where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. And they all ate and were satisfied, verse 37 says. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Jesus takes small and turns it into something magnificent, feeding hungry people. And there were food left over. There was food left over. One other verse, Matthew chapter 17, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible for you. The writer of our Advent devotional, Dan Wilt, about this text, he writes these words, God chooses the small. And sometimes you and I feel small. That has never hindered God in doing his work. In fact, he actually chooses the small and unknown through which to do his greatest work. If you feel small today, take heart. For God is using you. Being small, in many cases, it can be accompanied by a sense of powerlessness. But here in Bethlehem, in the small, God's glory is going to be on full display. 
You know this story probably in Luke chapter 2 after Jesus was born. Suddenly this great company of the heavenly hosts appears with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then this blazing star shines with this incredible significance over the Messiah's birthplace. In this small town, in a, in a town where there's no power, for you and me to feel small, to feel powerless, especially without agency, is a devastating place to be. Our youngest daughter was uh, born in a small village in China. She lived the first year of her life in a large and busy orphanage. And before going to college in Birmingham a couple years ago, she lived most of her life about a mile up the street. I'll show you a quick picture of our daughter. This is AGB. I snuck in a picture here with our granddaughter just so we could make sure we celebrate her too. This is baby Lennon. Uh, many of you guys know AGB. Um, she might be the only Chinese kid with pink hair that you know, but this is her. Ethnically, she's Chinese, but she's about as culturally West Cobb as any kid there is. If you ask her sister, her sister will tell you that, yeah, AGB is from China, but she's just like everybody else around here. And her adoption, in fact, her birthplace has been significant, but it's never really been a big deal in our home. While her roots are in China, she's always been a bowler. But something changed last year. Um, on, March 6th, on March 16th, when eight women, six of whom were of Asian descent, were shot and killed in Cherokee and Fulton County. And I remember talking with AGB, and she said, Dad, I don't have any words for this. I can't find my voice. Suddenly, coming from a place brought incredible feelings of powerlessness. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, in the Gospels, one of the things that you'll find is him constantly moving toward the small, toward the outsider, the unseen, the unknown, the person on the bottom of the social structure, the lonely, the powerless, the voiceless. So many of his miracles minister to those who have suffered loss and in some way may still be and feel powerless. We won't read the whole passage but there's a beautiful passage in Matthew chapter 9 that talks about Jesus' healing ministry. And one story after another is Jesus moving towards the powerless. In Matthew 9 and verse 2, he uh, heals a paralyzed man and he forgives his sin. Down in verse 22 in uh, Matthew 9, there is a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years and she touches the hem of his garment and Jesus turns to her and he says, your faith has healed you. In verse 25, Jesus gives life back to a girl who's seemingly dead. In verse 30, he restores sight to some blind men by touching their eyes. And then the chapter ends with Jesus cleansing a man who is demon-possessed and mute. And while these accounts are about Jesus restoring, they're also about us 
people, humans losing. This is not just about his power, that's also about our vulnerability. It's also about our fragility. In Jesus' upside down kingdom, the least will be the greatest. The poor will be rich. The weak will be strong. The sick will be made well. One of our members of our faith family, a friend of mine named Ghost, I was talking with him on the phone. I asked him what he was doing, and Ghost said, I'm just waiting for the last to be first. It's fascinating to me that the Jewish writer Matthew, who is writing to Jews, includes the story of the Magi who are non-Jews from the East. Magi from the East. It's yet another example of how the life and love of Jesus is for all people, no matter the place that they're from. Or no matter what you've lost, or what's been taken, or what's been broken, or how small you feel the good news of Jesus is for all. As we sang last Sunday from the prophet Isaiah, for to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. For you and I, many of our core beliefs are shaped from places of strength and spaces of brokenness or powerlessness. Many of us carry around in us both beauty and pain from the places where we're from. It's there where we learn about rules and manners and what matters. Some of it's good and some of it isn't. Some of us are having to unlearn some things as we grow older from things that we learned when we were younger. Our identity, our purpose what motivates us and animates us. It has direct correlation to what we learned or what we didn't learn in our early formative years. Before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, before he grew up in Nazareth, before he was killed in Jerusalem, Jesus came to this world from heaven. The world didn't give Jesus his identity. The world didn't give Jesus his purpose. His identity and his purpose was heavenly. The introduction to John's gospel says this, in the beginning was Jesus, the word, and the word Jesus was with God, and the word Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning, and through Jesus all things were made, and without Jesus nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When we become followers of Jesus, we are given a new identity. We're given a new purpose, and we no longer live the way that the world lives. Before AGB was ever Chinese, before she ever became a bowler, she was known and loved in the heavens. Her identity was formed in the heavens. 
One of the most familiar psalms is Psalm 139. Just want to read you a couple of verses from this familiar psalm. Psalm 139 verse 1 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And then down further in the psalm, verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake, I'm still with you. This is just a beautiful passage of scripture that reminds me, before you were born in a small town or a big town, before you were married or single or divorced or widow or adopted or wealthy or poor, you were known. Before you did anything great for God or before you messed it all up, you were loved. As Jason said, A few minutes ago, for God so loved the world. Our God knows you. Psalm 139, 1, you know me. He knows who you are. He knows where you're from. He knows what you've become. And he loves you. As followers of Jesus, our starting point is no longer Smyrna or Kennesaw or Southern California or China. Our starting point is heaven. In Christ, our belief system is now entirely centered and structured on the beliefs of heaven. So instead of saying, what does the world believe about things? We say, what does heaven believe about things? Our identity is rooted and remains and grows and reflects the identity of Jesus, conforming deeper still to the image and character of Jesus himself. Living out his will, living out his way on earth as it is in heaven, beginning right here, right now in this little church. I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, church is not a place that we go to. It's a place we go from. Paul writes in the church, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. In the church, we're called to love and value one another equally. There's no disparity in the church. We are all one in Christ. This is really important, and I want to make sure you guys get this. When we begin to live in Christ, we don't lose our identity. We don't lose our personality. We don't lose our uniqueness as a person. AGB doesn't all of a sudden become less Chinese when she becomes a Christian. It's actually the opposite. In Christ, AGB is beautified in every part of her being. In Christ, you are beautified in every part of your being. When AGB arrives in heaven, she'll be every bit as Chinese as she is today. One of the passages of scripture that we've read a bunch as a family comes from Revelation chapter 7. I love this passage. 
verses 9 and 10, John the Revelator writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe, from every nation, from every people and every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Whether you were raised as a Baptist or a Methodist or you weren't raised in the church, small town, big town. More than anything else, I want you to know that God sees you. Whether you are riddled with fear and anxiety or regret, or whether your life is full of hope and celebration, God knows you. And God has come for you to set you free. To set you free. He knows you in your smallness, in the spaces of powerlessness and hiddenness, and he loves you just as you are, right where you are. One more verse of scripture, because one day all things will be made new. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, for now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now, I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. Let's pray together. May we respond to you, Jesus, in joy. I pray, Jesus, that you would move to us in such a way that we would be able to hear you. You'd move to us in such a way that we'd be able to see you and to hold you and be held by you. May we respond to you in joy, not in fear, not in worry, not in anxiousness. May we respond to you in joy. Jesus, we give you praise. We give you praise for all things. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.